You're listening to Hey everyone and welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. It's episode what episode is it? It's episode 64 for Thursday, July the 15th, 2021. My name is Marvin Yue and joining me as always to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days. We have self-proclaimed professional Asian American Jess Jew. What up, Jess? What's up, Marvin? And also joining us, professional culture editor Han Win. Hey Han. Hey, hey. How's everyone doing? It is <laughs> This is the longest week ever. Yeah. I, it's I, a long month. Yeah. And it's and it's not gonna get easier, like for me anyway. Like anyway, so I just had like a really intense therapy appointment today. There's like a lot of crying. So I'm like I feel like I got like punched in the brain heart. Oh man. So yeah, she's uh <laughs> It's fine. It's good. It's part of the healing process. Uh, you know, let's destigmatize mental health. But yeah, yeah. Still, I'm just like, God damn it. Um, I don't know why I set them on Wednesdays. It's like literally the worst time. But I think it's cheaper. Interesting. Yeah, like it's cheaper to do it in the mornings and in the evening. So I was like, Yeah, fuck it. Yeah, I'm gonna do it in the morning. It's all virtual, anyways. And then I'm like, Oh, but then I cry so much. And then like, I'm also a dumb bitch who forgot to drink water. Oh. Um, she usually reminds me to go drink water afterwards because I'm usually like have sobbed like of several cupfuls of tears. And I guess I just forgot. And I was like, mm, she dehydrated. She feels a little wrinkly right now. I, That's yeah. amazing that you found a way to make therapy more Asian by choosing the most budget efficient time to go to therapy. That shit's expensive, <laughs> Marvin. Okay. And Shop in the therapy I'm, sales. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to heal, but I'm also trying to save money. <laughs> Is it? Co- it's covered by insurance, right? I am doing um, out of network because basically like a few months ago, like especially after the Atlanta shooting, every Asian American therapist like in the I feel like in any ma- major area mm-hmm. that offered like virtual services or like video conferencing was just like booked and not taking new clients. And my coverage, um, my health insurance coverage, like took so long to get me even in the system and they made me answer like the same survey four or five times and i was like i i can't i can't do this right now like i don't know what what the fuck is going on kaiser but this is not working this is like kind of an emergency like i'm crumbling so i just went out of network and i'm just a little i mean has i mean it's been effective so i feel like you know if it's working like i figure it's worth to keep paying a little more um, for these like out of network sessions. I might give Kaiser another shot down the line, but again, I feel like it is working and it's helping. So I don't necessarily want to disrupt that right now. Um, But yeah, I also think I need to go see someone like more of a psychiatrist, psychologist to also get some, like see if I have a clinical diagnosis. Cause definitely again, a lot of the stemming from TikTok diagnosis. I'm like, do I have ADD? Oh, do I have anxiety? Do I probably do? I think we all do, like on some level of the spectrum. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been a journey. We'll say. Just you yes. need a professional. Yeah, I. Well, uh, yeah, I'm just so. Fu- it's just so funny because you know the way I talk about other health issues, like. I'm very open about like, you know, like I take daily medicine for my asthma and my allergies and all that. But like, for some reason, there is still this hesitancy to see if I need medication for like anxiety. I'm fairly functional right now, but it also could be like a 
like a glasses things. Like if you don't need glasses, you think the world is fine. Yeah. And then someone gives you glasses. And you're like, holy shit, this is what I was missing. Yeah. So part of me is just wondering, like, like, why am I shaming myself from living my like the best version of my <laughs> life because of the stigma? I didn't even realize I was internalizing. So, yeah, it's been a journey. guys. <laughs> uh, although I do not have a TikTok account and it's getting to the point where I feel like I need one. Um, I do follow someone on Instagram who just basically puts his TikTok on there. <laughs> And it's a therapist. And I'm just like, huh, a lot of this makes sense. And then um, and then some some people were having a discussion on Twitter about um, uh, parents who have ADD and who weren't diagnosed, but it runs in the family. So once they're like nephew or whatever was diagnosed, then they're like, yeah, that's why my parents like that. And that exactly was my reaction, because literally my nephew got diagnosed with some sort of ADD and I was like oh my god when I looked at some of the things that people were saying about how their parents you know like hoard things and whatever I was just like this is so much like my mom um and I can't watch a film with her without her getting up and doing other things like literally I cannot and I was just like oh I just figured it was an Asian thing you know <laughs> but there's so many things in there I was like huh um, she would not go to therapy or want to be diagnosed. But as the more I read about it, the more I'm just like, that's fine. That'll help me deal with her. Trauma responses. Mm -hmm. <sighs> well, yep. on this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club, we're talking all about the newest Marvel film, Black Widow. Uh, but before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture is beginning through the week. Jess, what's popping? So when I'm not on TikTok, I actually went to an in-person event this week. In a theatrical screening and for uh, Iram Parveen Balal's I'll Meet You There, which was a South by Southwest 2020 film that, you know, unfortunately, all those narrative features kind of got shafted because they, you know, they canceled. They had to cancel the festival fairly um, swiftly. And there was not a lot of time to emotionally or I think financially or logistically prepare for that um, sudden cancellation. Um, so I think this is the first time it was seen in a like publicly in a major theater, and I will say it's a very it's a small indie movie that actually needs to be seen on a big screen. It's weird. I feel like the smaller the movie, the better it plays on a big screen, and vice versa. Because I'm sure we'll talk about this with Black Widow. Black Widow on the TV is fine. It's fine. You're not missing much. It probably looks better because some of those CGI's were a little cheap. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, and then, you know, full disclosure, Iram is a, one of my writers. So of course I really, um, love her and her writing and it's such an interesting, this movie has been in her own personal, like heart for a really long time. It has themes about, you know, religion and dance and your place in kind of set between two cultural expectations and family and authority um policing terrorism it's 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 really complex but the root is a really you know it's a story about three generations of family um a pakistani islamic family and i feel like we've been talking a lot recently about representation as a whole in the entertainment industry obviously that's a lot of what we do in our work but very specifically like the portrayal of muslims on film is so it's so fucking trash like let's be real it's so fucking trash right like there's absolutely no nuance 
And this is one of the few projects films I've seen that is like a that does not villainize um Islam or portray being Muslim as this bad thing or this thing that holds you back or about this thing that is something to to get over or overcome it treats it like the complex you know like an individual relationship to this thing that means may means a lot to some people it may not mean that much to other people so i thought that was really interesting i've just never seen that before it's really cool you know we got they, they also um got a traditional katik dancer to come and i was just like guys in-person events they're great what the fuck like this energy it's great yeah all right how much popping with you uh so since i had been reading so much ya recently besides reading catching up on most of the maureen goob although i have uh i'm still waiting for something on the library um i did shift to finally reading mr malcolm's list because you know there was a short film made of that and now they're going to make it into a big screen film or at least a theatrical um and uh wow that is a very fast read like literally i started it last night and then i had insomnia in the middle of the night so i just finished it um i think it's like it and like an hour and a half two hour read you know um but one of the reasons why i read it besides the fact that i wanted to, i was curious about the casting because i actually didn't watch the short film treatment i watched the beginning of it and i was like wait wait, wait i need to go back and read it first um now i kind of understand like what the characters are because basically it's like jane austen light um, it is Regency set. It is a comedy of manners. Uh, marriage is the point of the game, but it's not as deep as as Austin. So it's kind of like more of a frothy Austin. Um, and uh, one of the reasons why I read it was because in NetGalley, <laughs> uh, I saw that the another book by this same author was is going to be released. So I was like, well, I want to read it in order, even if it's not like an MCU and there are no overlapping characters. Um, but, Wait, so uh, do you know the timeline of the film to the book? Because it was my understanding that this film or the short film was a blacklist script. Well, I'm 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 trying to figure that out too because the book was also 2009, so that's even before the film. So unless oh. it was an adapt adaptation of that, so hmm. yeah, I I need to actually like look that up because once it finally gets out, once it comes out, I don't know how long this is. I mean, they've gone through three weeks. Three castings of the same person. So um, who knows when it's going to come out. Um, but that was also one of the reasons why I want to find out. Because one of the roles, uh, as we know from the short film, was played by Gemma Chan. Um, and then was replaced by Constance Wu in the bigger film that's yet to be made. And then was replaced again by Zoe Ashton. So I was just curious to see like if any of this casting made sense from the characters. And it did. I, I felt like as much as I like uh, Gemma Chan, I think that Constance Wu actually may have embodied the character better, um, not having seen it, but only having read it. Um, so anyway, it's, it's it's whatever it is, whenever it comes out, it's going to be, you know, color conscious casting. Frida Pinto is the lead woman. Um, but yeah, I for now, who knows? That's going to change. Um, but uh, it was a very enjoyable and very fast read, as I was saying. It doesn't go that deep either into the culture. It just it's, it's very much a, just a few conversations and a party here and there. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, and hopefully that movie comes out soon. 
So, Marvin? Yeah, so it's been a very Marvel week for me, in addition to watching Black Widow for our episode. Um, I also finished up the last two episodes of Loki, which is the latest MCU TV series that's playing on Disney+. And I gotta say, um, I went in with a little bit of trepidation because their track record with endings for the last two uh, series on WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier have not been great, um, both finales have been kind of letdowns Mm -hmm. but i think loki was able to deliver a pretty good finale um by virtue of not being a finale um it ends with a cliffhanger um after a couple world changing revelations um some questions were answered and even more questions were asked and i don't know i think overall it worked for me in terms of a good stopping point for this series i do have some feelings though about how it really seems like these last few films especially wandavision and loki are essentially just prologues to the next batch of um, mcu films so i am one of the few i think our friend angie han is also one of those detractors when it comes (laughs) to this finale um I saw everyone's tweets in the morning and I was like, oh, cool. They like the finale. That'll be interesting because I haven't really loved the other two finales of Falcon or WandaVision. Mm. And so um, I watched it and I was like, huh. (laughs) 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 I, I, the only thing I can really agree is that Jonathan Matrix is very good. Very good. Like if you talk about a person who can make a monologue, great. This is a guy like, um, you never really feel that he's monologuing. He is literally just owning the screen. But I have to agree that I don't like the fact that it was a cliffhanger. Um, not that I don't think cliffhangers can, can't work. You know, they can. But if you're giving me six episodes, uh-uh. And then also, it did feel like the whole point was leading to something else. And I was just like, no, I didn't feel like I got anything Um in any way concluded from what they built up. Um, I think they introduced too many things in the finale. I, If it were a penultimate episode, I would have been fine. If they had seven episodes, I would have been much happier, I think. <laughs> and I think that's, I mean, I came out of it obviously a little bit more positive than you did because I think I saw it as like, obviously as someone who has watched every single MCU film and television series, you know, I'm in it for the long haul and I did enjoy how it was setting up because Jonathan Majors is, has already been rumored to be playing like the next, pretty much the next Donald's character. He's the next big bad of the phase. So in a way, this whole series, in addition to being Tom Hiddleston, you know, letting loose playing Loki, was kind of setting up the pieces for these next few Marvel movies, including, you know, Multiverse of Madness and Quantumania, um, which is the next Ant-Man movie. At the same time, one of the things that I've been thinking about since Marvel has started doing television series is how many people are going to be super lost when they watch the next Doctor Strange film or the next Ant-Man film if they haven't watched Loki or WandaVision, right? That is their glorious purpose. Is to um, make sure that people go back and watch things because I, who have not watched the second Ant Man or Doctor Strange, am now forced to go back. Um, well, I was. I don't think all... You have to go back. No, 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 it's no. Just, I am. These... No, no. I am. I'm. I'm a completionist in that way. I was planning on it at some point, especially after WandaVision. Um, I still haven't seen Captain Marvel, even though it has a very good cat in it. Um, so you know, I was planning on watching all of them anyway. And this is the purpose. It's kind of like with with. Star Wars. 
um, you can get away with not watching some of the cartoons, perhaps, but um, a lot of the you're missing a lot um, if you don't read the books, watch the cartoons, all this other stuff. So your understanding is limited. I don't need, think I need to read all the comic books, like, but I do look up stuff, you know, yeah. as an editor. I, I want to know the backstory behind things to see if people are getting things right, if things are changed. Um, see, this is my fear so yeah. of like the upcoming Obi-Wan Kenobi television series is this going to make me have to go back and watch not only episode three revenge of the Ugh. sith but also all the clone wars television yeah. series which Honestly, right is, is only i've heard is if, good but yeah only if you care i think we <laughs> yes. are in a bubble of pop culture professionals and culture professionals <laughs> who this matters a lot i actually do not think the majority of like a like a general audience cares quite as much and there are people who care more where they love this and in like my little very like jeff bezos economic brain is like i mean that's your fandom that's gonna spend a shit ton of money that's who you want to keep happy everyone <laughs> else will have kind of no choice but to engage anyways because it's just in the ether like someone like my sister like is not gonna watch any of this i don't even know if she watched the star wars movies <laughs> You know, but she was like, oh, it's out. Like, you know, she's like, oh, it's on Disney Plus. I'll watch it. She's like, oh, that's that was cool. Like, that's kind of as mm -hmm. deep as it gets. Yeah. Um, Because not everyone, you know, chose, unlike us, I not guess. everyone chose to surround their life with um, content critique. <laughs> and I think that's why I think most people were probably okay with WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier because, I mean, those two um, finales did end with like big superhero fight slash speeches whereas like low-key ended ended with um kind of world building which i can see why some people would be not as high on it especially uh world building in a sense of like the metaphysical magical um side of marvel which is already pretty complicated to begin with with multiverses and timelines and all that good sci-fi shit that i love but i know confuses the crap out of a lot of people well i just like again from my jeff bezos side of my lizard brain i'm just like man you're so smart you can really do anything now you could do anything which it's, it's very in line with the comics right like comics medium and how you can reset things and kill people and bring them back i'm 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 just not that mad about it because i feel like now you have the ability to juice like loki was already pretty crazy to the point where like i'm not in the mind space to even like fully engage with it yet like i try to watch some episodes and i just knew i was not going to be able to get it right now i'm too distracted but it is kind of exciting as to now we might just get really weird shit with the marvel layer dressing over it which thus far i mean some more successful than other marvel's been pretty good about um. and um yeah i'm i'm interested to see what they'll do and maybe we'll get some like really more weird shit yeah i don't know look they tried they did something some world building in at the beginning of this you know um i i give them a lot of credit for ambition um maybe i'll feel better once the series comes back because really truly it did feel like a mid-season finale not a season finale um so maybe they've already started taping and filming and whatever and so this will just be one of those like when they say hey this is season 1b you know, 1A or whatever, and then mm. they'll come back with 1B, so. I guess. I, I, I liked it, so um, now I feel bad for liking it. <laughs> no! Everyone else likes it. Like, every, the, the review my, my uh, writer did, she very much was, like, pro. 
finale. So I think it was just me and like Angie Han who didn't like it. <laughs> well, uh, Loki is now complete um, for its first season. So you can check that out on Disney+. Plus. I can say for me, I'm looking forward to what the new revelations mean for the rest of the MCU going forward. Um, already, we're seeing that uh, the next few moves films are going to play directly off of things that happen in Loki and, Wand- and WandaVision. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited for w- all the weird stuff that's going to be happening in the weird side of Marvel. But with that, that's what's popping for this week. Uh, when we come back, we're talking about the non-magic side of Marvel uh, with its latest film, Black Widow. Stay around. Hey, Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. On this episode, we're talking about Black Widow, the latest film from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and part of its Phase 4. Even though the film takes place in the middle of Phase 3, the film is the long-awaited cinematic feature centering on the first female superhero of the MCU. Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. The Black Widow, is on the run post Captain America's Civil War, uh, but returns to action when she finds out that the Red Room, the criminal assassination network that she used to be a part of, is still operational and is after her former foster sister, Yelena. Uh, So she teams up with Yelena to go on a country hopping uh, mission to put an end to the Red Room once and for all. And along the way, recruiting her former uh, foster family of former Russian operatives. The film stars Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, Florence Pugh as her sister, Yelena, David Harbour as their dad figure, Alexei, and also, what was the last one? Rachel Weiss. Rachel Weiss. And Rachel Weiss as oh, a... Oh, put some respect on Rachel Weiss's <laughs> name. My goodness. The, uh, the woman who made, every, made every everyone... Everyone bisexual? Yeah, realized that they were bisexual. Yeah. This film, of course, is part of the Marvel's non-magic side like we mentioned this is the spy um government intrigue thriller side of the marvels and meg universe and i feel like it's one of the better ones that we've seen since um the winter soldier i i mean this might be blasphemous but i think i like the like spy political thriller side much more it has less lore to go through (laughs) right the lore right in the, the central lore is black widow natasha's past we're familiar with a character. There's some really great callbacks and consistency in her character. One of my favorite things about Natasha is that she's never in a position of vulnerability unless she wants to be, for the most part. Um, that's always like a fun, like, gotcha. It's the same thrill I get when heist movies reveal their real plan. <laughs> um, and it really kind you of You say finally- that, but then Natasha always looks like she's about to cry throughout the, like, all of her roles. I think part of that is um, what happens when you're only directed by shitty male directors who don't understand women. <laughs> um, and, you know, they never give her space to do anything besides kind of cry. And, okay, we're not going to, like, talk about the character slaughter assassination of a, in Avengers 2, which I think 
is pretty like well known as the worst Marvel movie, which shouldn't be surprised because uh, <laughs> of Josh Whedon did that one, and apparently it was like a het was like himself a hot mess while making that film. Also, not surprised that Marvel doesn't know how to end something, right? Two things that Marvel films don't know how to do. Romance not to and end. ending stories. They're not They're supposed arcs. to end. They're TV shows. At this point, all the movies are different episodes of one TV show, one very, very large, expensive TV show we're watching. But, you know, I did appreciate the fact that we got the time to spend with her character. Also, the surrounding cast, super fun. I love Florence Pugh. Like, she, she's fantastic. Um, Rachel Weiss is always great. David Harver plays, you know, goofy dumb dad figure um and regardless i mean i think some of the characters may be a little like you know like david Herbert's character more of a punchline but <laughs> i feel like casting likable actors in those roles like does half your job for you and then um i have some like bigger questions about like are we supposed to be rooting for these people they still seem like war criminals we can get back to that later <laughs> uh, she did ice a kid um, which which is we learned this whole Budapest like dark story, but also like just the segments of like her past and the trauma she went through going through this program. And again, maybe I'm giving Marvel way too much credit here, but like just tying it into like a general like traumatic experience of girl growing up as a girl in a world that hates you or finds you valueless, um, in some way, shape, or form everywhere around the world, um. I think some parts were successful in kind of exploring and poking that through and like unpacking that some parts, it seemed a little gross in some points to like bring that up in the context of a, like a fun Marvel movie. <laughs> Cause this is like obviously an allegory to like sexual trafficking, right? Yeah, I guess. Um, but they never go there. Cause this is a Marvel movie and we're keeping it PG 13, but like the underlying thing is. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, they show it, but they don't call out to it, right? Like yeah. the 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 montage in the opening credit sequence was all about human trafficking of like young girls. Yeah. Yes, but yeah. but you know, in the context of a, this Marvel films, like we're kidnapping young girls to make turn them into super weapons. Whereas the real life story, we're getting really dark here already. But the real life equivalents, like we're kidnapping young girls for sexual trafficking, which we know happens, and that has been in the news a lot in on a very global stage yeah i mean and, um, and the bad yeah. guy does have this very striking line saying that he's utilizing the world's most unwanted resources right yeah i mean yes yes you are absolutely right when it comes to sex trafficking girls are not seen as people they are vessels they're used for whatever men want and this is exactly what it's in this movie uh they're using a resource not even a person Cause them a resource. Um, they eliminate their ability to have children. Not that that is important for a woman, but, you know, they're taking away that person's choice. Um, and so it is it is dark underlying a lot of what this movie is and why I thought it was very good that they made it um, humorous at times and kind of heartwarming at times. I uh, didn't expect the the humor actually um which was great and i think it shows that you can joke about some really serious subjects um especially if you have the right person at the helm oh a hundred percent and i actually thought that they were saddled this team and kate shortland who's the director of this film who is a woman um and i believe the story was by partially by um jack 
Schaefer, who co-wrote or who wrote created WandaVision, um, you know, which is another property that centers a female character. Um, they were saddled with some shitty things from just like the canon of the Black Widow character, specifically the stupid Red Room and like Natasha saying that she's a monster because she can't have children. And that little scene where, you know, they've picked up David Harbour and they're basically just very like bluntly talking about their hysterectomies and like all their reproductive <laughs> organs, then they're very cavalier about it. And he's like, oh, no, this is gross. And like, that's like every period conversation a woman has had with some male people <laughs> in her life, whether it was like your father, a brother, friends, you know, when they're still in that immature state. And I was like, oh, this is a great tonal balance of like, just like addressing some of that stupid shit they had to, they got saddled with and like bringing it to a, bringing it through more of a female lens yeah yeah absolutely because i think one of the reasons why that comes up um again it was it's brought up at least two times i think in the movie is when david harper's character actually makes a joke which is a joke we've all heard what are you on your period and she's like no because i had a hysterectomy i don't have a uterus anymore or whatever the line is <laughs> and so it's kind of like yeah i'm gonna put it in your face what you what you're talking about what you think you know um and and what you think you know about women just and like how you identify women um so that was kind of one of my favorite lines in the whole movie um yeah love that yeah scene. Uh, i also love the scene um where I, I i was very conscious whether or not this movie would pass the bechdel test um I don't know if but it counts. There's no the romance lap. though, so it's, does that, it doesn't matter. It's not about romance. Cast? It's anytime you're talking about a man. Yeah, mm. like if they're talking about their dad, it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Yeah, which I think I I will I think I'll say I'll give it a pass because technically the last line is like asking about Drekoff, the big bad, who is a man, but that's really just to like set us up to get them to the next scene. So I think I'm gonna pass. One of my favorite scenes is when they're sitting in the car and mm -hmm. they're talking about the vest yes. with pockets. And if you have a sister, <laughs> they 100% got the sister relationship dynamic right. That is, and, and I like it when Marvel does this successfully, when they take these very like realistic situations, but they overlie kind of the Marvelness over it. Um, that, that like juxtaposition is very funny to me. So as a younger sister, I've definitely saw approval from my older sisters. Like, this is cool, right? And like, um, you know, we're talking about clothes or stealing clothes or buying clothes and it has pockets. They're so useful. Like, wow. Um, which, you know, very pro pockets. I think most women are. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was something that was good where, you know, we don't know every single scene that Kate Shortland might have like had a finger in. But I feel like that might be one of them because I can't see that d dialogue purely being mr schaefer's um but ms 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 schaefer is it i thought yes it was uh it was so technically the screen play itself was written by a man he's credited uh. he's the only one credited but as we know mm. from back behind the scenes uh you know insider knowledge the credited screenwriter is not usually the only screenwriter um but he did write for he wrote some agent carter he wrote you know He's been in the Marvel world for a while, done out some rewrites, ah. uh, like big films, but wrote wrote for the show Agent Carter. But I mean, definitely there probably were several other hands in the mix that brought some of these very specific 
moments. Men do not know the joy of pockets. Yeah. Uh, you know, they have I didn't pockets. realize that most women's clothes don't have pockets until exactly, I started Which dating. is why a man did not write that scene. Uh, you yeah. can just tell sometimes. I see there's also a story by Jack Schaefer, who is Jacqueline Schaefer. Jacqueline Schaefer, she, yes. Yeah. She goes by Jack, though. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I feel like there's some woman's touch in there. I hate to say that, but women's touch. But yes, it is absolutely true. And I think one of the I mean, reasons- it goes to yeah. show how missing that perspective is that it's so noticeable when it does happen. Yeah, right? because it feels real. I, I would say the flip side of that is um, on Netflix now is a new movie called Gunpowder Milkshake, which is written by a man, but it stars all the greatest women in the world. And you can tell it was written by a man. Um, because- is it shot by a man too? Yeah, yes. I mean, it's the sex- there's not that much sexual stuff, but it's just more of the the storyline is a mother and a daughter, assassins, um, and then the big thing that makes them eventually come together because they've been estranged for a long time is uh, the daughter has to save another girl, a little girl. And so it's because of like motherhood and all that type of stuff that they're drawn together. And then, of course, the other female assassins are um, Angela Bassett, Michelle Yeoh, and Carla Cugino, people i love but they're really basically playing just regular assassin roles ex- with the one exception of like you're a mother you're a daughter mm. you know and and there's no <clears throat> specificity to who they are other than that they're those roles so it definitely and these are assassins also same with like black widow and it's totally plays different I also don't like that film. Yeah, on that <laughs> note, I also appreciate because like this is something that they did for Captain Marvel where the big action, baddest action scene is lampshaded by playing No Doubt I'm Just a Girl in the background that kind of detracted from the whole thing because it made it into like a cheesy scene, right? As opposed to, I feel like all the action scenes in this film are really, really well done. I also have a pet peeve that this didn't necessarily do, but I have a pet peeve when it comes to action films or big franchises where there's one woman and they always end up fighting the other woman mm-hmm. um, because they, whatever reason, think that she, she's a, even though she's a superhero, she can't fight a man or they just think they've like, they think, Oh, can't hit a girl, whatever the reasons are, but it always is so contrived um, <laughs> that they always have the one mirror image, you know, evil woman too, somehow um, this one, because a lot of the, you know, a lot of the people who were mind controlled were also widows that t- took care of that. It wasn't just because there was one woman. Also, the big guy, you know, bad was a guy. Yeah. I mean, um, this film also has like one of the most dangerous, like super villain type characters was also a woman, which was yeah. a pretty big. I didn't realize that they were going to gender swap the taskmaster in this in this film, but that was really well done. And she gets to fight like the biggest alpha dude in the movie, which is David Harbour's. Um, what is this? The red, the red guardian, red, red guardian. guardian. Yeah. <laughs> also, I mean, look, I didn't like the big explodey ending, which is all Marvel films. You know, are contractually. I mean, it's a Marvel film. Do. They have, yeah. he has, so you gotta I have get explodies. it. I get it. I think there were some very stupid moments there, but I do have to say, what I did appreciate was the prison break. That was a fantastic <laughs> love and, a prison break. Yeah, and fun scene. Like there were some like. Florence Pugh, of course, gets some of the best lines during that prison break. So, um, yeah, I, it, overall, like, I really, really, really like this film. I think it might be my one of my favorite Marvel Yeah. Films. And something that I really noticed was after watching Falcon Winter Soldier, where I spent the whole entire film not feeling the banter between 
um, Sam and um, Bucky. Yeah, Sam and Bucky. <laughs> or James. Uh, thank you. Yes. Um, I really enjoyed the banter between um, Natasha and Yelena. Um, I felt like it was just it was just so much more fun and so much more like believable. Yeah. I mean, not only did they just have good banter, but I think as just pointed out, you know, it, it had sister banter. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, it had good family yeah. banter. And like, I love that their entire relationship with Alexei Red Guardian is just shut the fuck up, dad. Yeah. <laughs> it's so yeah. embarrassing. Like awkward dad energy <laughs> on the road trip, right? Yeah. That, that's the thing. Like, it's, it's these things are all very familiar with and can relate to. They just all happen to be like super spy soldiers, right? Which yeah. is funny. And then, <clears throat> and, and, and really, Marvel movies only work. Because they can get so... This is... Even though the end is like the big explosion, of course, something's going to fall out of the sky finale. <laughs> um, it's like a pretty small version of that in the grand Marvel scheme of like big exploding falling out of the sky finales. And it's... Again, I wrote, it's much more grounded than some other Marvel movies. <laughs> LOL. Like, you know, we're on the spectrum. It's weird to say a movie, a Marvel movie is grounded, but I it mean, is. It's It's very much operating in like the world of human physics yeah, I movie mean, in, physics in a world where there is actually magic and gods and gods and like... multi-universes yes this is very like small scale which i think also why it works it's so focused and again the core of it is the family like they're asking the core of it is like what's what's family and what does family owe to each other what does family mean um they are all come all four members of that family are coming in with a different idea at first and they all kind of end up somewhere different at the end so there is like some nice you know within the spectrum of a two and a half hour marvel movie we're getting some character development um yeah i have a couple things to say about the family thing which i thought they did really well was number one the whole point of uh Natasha sacrificing herself for Hawkeye was like because he had a family, which, first of all, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> bullshit. Number one, you don't have to have a family to have value. Um, I, as a single person without a child, I often run into this um, at workplaces where it's like, well, you know, he has a family, so they need blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but I need to maintain my relationships with people because I am alone. So it's like the value people give over you know, family um, and what they think is his family. And so obviously she does have a family, but also it is a found family. Like, yes, they adopted, but none of them are biologically related to each other. So that also takes away from that whole you know, idea that, first of all, all these women don't have biological babies. They can't. But it doesn't mean you can't have a family. I did like that setup. I want to see the next the next Black Widow series is the Americans, but the Black Widow family. It was so Americans. It was great. <laughs> down oh, yeah. to that bad, first sequence was fantastic. Down to right? bad wigs. Like Americans <laughs> oh, yeah. had bad wigs. This one also had bad wigs. It was so great. That's true. Because like the whole reason she sacrificed herself on was warmer was that the, the planet again space and marvel exists yeah. as well like galactic <laughs> civilizations um because but again I, like she like she felt like end, she had to atone for like her life of like yeah, sin which end is like game end game right yeah whereas like in this film it's like well she obviously had people to go back to and like she was working yeah. towards atonement right she didn't need to atone any more than he did he did some atrocious things too 
So that's I mean, he also helped her kill that kid. So yeah. I don't know why she's the only one was, feeling bad about it. He was randomly killing Asians. Like they're just like it was <laughs> there's so many bad things that all of them have done that that she the fact that she felt guiltier than the men, I was just like, oh, some dude wrote but this. But again, this is what happens when a bunch mm-hmm. of men write the only and there's only one female character in this team, and then they write it's written directed by a bunch of dudes, and a lot of the backstory <laughs> is set up by a bunch of dudes, specifically a dude that like really hates women. Yeah. <laughs> and so, thinks they're only values their ability to be a mother. So But then like treats actual mothers like shit. So yeah. Here's the thing. Going into this movie, I had a screening and I was walking with my friend and I was like, so I don't really care about Black Widow. I literally didn't even watch any trailers for it. I was just like, it's a free movie. It's Disney, blah, blah, blah. It's MCU. And I was like, but I was like walking in and thinking and I said to him, what do you think is going to happen? Am I going to walk out of this and say uh, Black Widow was uh, robbed? And sure enough, that's exactly how I felt, not because the movie robbed her, but the movie did so well with her character that I, mean, I felt she was robbed yeah. later when she had to die. I mean, imagine so. if this film came out like canonically in the timeline, Con- right? Con- if this yeah. was the though, I read, I heard a hot take somewhere. I put this in the notes. Like it's a, it's a bittersweet thing because obviously Marvel just dropped the ball, and it absolutely makes no sense to have waited this long for a Black Widow movie. Mm-hmm. They literally just realized they fucked up. And they're like, okay, we got to like insert this back in the timeline um, <laughs> while we still got ScarJo on contract. Um, but then on the pro side, you know, I think we needed to wait. I think we needed to wait for, we should have waited. And it's a good thing we waited or the universe waited for someone like Kate Shortland, the director, to helm this film. Because, yeah. Would you have wanted a Black Widow directed by feminist Josh, femin, self-proclaimed feminist Josh Whedon? Oof. Like they were giving him Joss, Joss, Joss Whedon. Whedon yeah. They were giving him everything, right? And like, yeah, or another man to I mean, like yeah. do this film. That would have been that would not have worked. It just wouldn't have worked. Yeah, it's it's bittersweet. All I can say, it's I think it's a great film, and yeah, I I, I think about kind of like me being old. How everyone's watched those like episodes one through three of Star Wars, you know, first in order, whereas I started with four through six. And then going back, I was like, this is weird. And so I feel like future generation is going to watch it kind of in chronological order and it's going to be like, what the hell? I mean, there's no reason why this should have been in the middle of phase four instead of like, where it should have been like right after Civil War. So the film right after Civil War was Doctor Strange. Yep. Yeah. And then maybe she would have gotten a better ending. Maybe it would still have been tragic because, you know, sacrifices and all that stuff. But maybe it would have been better. They would have had a deeper understanding of her character and where she's coming from. Yeah. It wouldn't be the same. Some of those choices. If this film came out chronologically, it would be Natasha getting a TV spinoff instead of Cliff. Speaking of horrible things, I do have a problem of how fast this film is asking us to forgive and, I mean, like it's a it's a it's big a, question yeah i mean it's a superhero that, film <laughs> i feel like yes but like like even within the context of superhero films some of the like timeline and this is again this is not like an f9 where you know mm-hmm. john cena is supposed to join the family at the end of the movie right like like that i was fine but you know like someone like rachel vice's character melina who is basically knowingly cor- collaborating with um you know 
the the big bad into subjugating all these poor young girls and women into this terrible life of uh violence and servitude i'm like bitch you are brilliant like you brilliant you think like the film was trying to be like oh i didn't know i was like that i don't know if i buy um you know like we learned the big dirty secret that natasha has which is you know they always talk about like budapest and what happened in budapest and it's revealed that she knowingly sacrificed like basically willingly bombed and killed a young child to get what she wanted. Um, And then she, the film makes a very concentrated effort to be like, no, Natasha's good though. She's going to go back now and save this girl whose life she has destroyed. But it's okay because her dad was worse. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like some of those like layers uh, where I was just like, Oh no, everyone's just a war criminal. I mean, let's be real, every Avenger is a war criminal. But again, I think when we like focus so much, it's like, oh, like that was a very fast turnaround you're asking I mean, me to do, people. <laughs> one of the inadvertent lessons we learned from watching superhero movies is war crimes are forgivable if you are charismatic and cool enough and you do a cool pose. I did like how the movie unpacked the like they kind of poked fun at like the posing, the Scarjo <laughs> posing that in and the male gaze of mm-hmm. for other Marvel films that made Scarjo pose in certain ways. Uh they kind of poke fun at that. Um yeah, the it it was <laughs> I'm just like and again, I think it's maybe it's 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 a little more like it's sticking to me a little bit more because even though they're not really saying it the underlying allegory is this like pretty horrific like sexual violence that befalls young girls right again marvel's not going to touch that but you're dumb you'd be dumb to not like put the one (laughs) and one together yeah you're not at all just sort of making this up in your head because like besides the fact that i think it's a very clear allegory um i kate shortland's history actually Two two films kind of plays a lot in sort of like why she I think she was chosen for this. Uh, there she has one film um, called Lore, which is set like right after World War II, and it follows these kids whose parents were Nazis. And Ooh. so that number one, when we're talking about war criminals and the innocent and all that type of stuff, and a very fraught history. There you go. And then the second um, movie, I forgot what it was called, but basically it's uh, where a woman uh, befriends a man and all of a sudden he imprisons her in his house for months and basically uses her. So, like, yeah, no, all of that... That makes a lot of sense. Both of those show that that's why a lot of these storylines in this movie hits harder because she was able to deftly like actually address these things even if it's not in a very you know literal obvious way so yeah this movie does make you feel these themes more and so when it's glossed over like with the kid she killed you're kind of like i don't know about that (laughs) (laughs) like when they get to the biggest floaty part fine you can like gloss over all those people who got killed but when you're talking about women and you know girls who are used and sacrificed you're like no no no. are we supposed to just not look at this one girl um yeah which i think asks really interesting questions i think the movie just (laughs) tries to wrap it up too cleanly at the end right with her basically being like 
you know, like they have, she has a nice moment with the girl whose life she fucked up and mm-hmm. tried to kill. And I, I will say like, she's still a little too pretty to like be that <laughs> fucked up. Like, all right, you got some burns. Honestly, you still probably could. You look like a hot model. Like let's like, I feel like that's where some of maybe the male gays are coming back. Mm-hmm. I was hope like they should have made her like way more gnarly. Right. Like, yeah, like I, totally yeah. <laughs> burned. Like you could, you still seem like a functional human being, even without the mask. Like I want some Anakin Skywalker level like scarring, but there, I did feel like like the producer note was like, "Well, we paid for Olga Korienko, who's like this beautiful actress. Like we can't fuck her up too much. Like or else why did we hire her? Like I feel like that was the note. <laughs> yeah, I th- feel like <laughs> I mean, it's the same feeling I get with a lot of like these movies that try to be that those four quadrant like fun summer temples right which is you want to like marvel is always brushing up against wanting to say something wanting to be more than just a superhero movie but then the last minute remembering wait we're a superhero movie like and how much we can get away with yeah having messages that's the marvel problem right like by the third act they're like oh fuck we did some really cool stuff but like we got to bring it back to the big boom boom (laughs) finale like that's that's the we've talked about this before that's kind of whether it's tv show or movie yeah. all three phases they've had that issue and um it just sometimes it works better than others sometimes it's obviously like the electricity of basically those like smaller moments like the relationships because really that's what people care about i think the boom boom gets people to be like cool like that's an easy way to sell a movie right like action movie but what gets people actually invested and to care about the story is still always going to be character and relation dynamics mm-hmm. and their stakes and what they want and whether you care enough about them that you're rooting for them to get what they want. Yeah. And I will say, you know, <clears throat> a lot of female action movies, female led action movies, I feel like it is slightly getting better because now we are, they're letting more women direct action films <laughs> with female led action heroes. <sighs> But you could tell the female-led action heroes, uh, the female-directed female-led action movies, their action heroes are not like like robotic, brainless, like all I am is tough yeah. and I'm going to mm-hmm. kick ass. You can always tell when a man has directed one because they always make their female characters like, oh, she's so strong. She's so strong. She's a badass. And that's mm-hmm. like as far as it goes. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you have women directing action figures, with female leads, they get to still be vulnerable. And then you, I mean, Marvin, you made that, you know, comment about how like ScarJo always looks like she's about to cry. And I'm just like, she had a really fucking traumatic <laughs> life. Like it is arguably more traumatic than any other. That first scene in Ohio and seeing their family ripped apart and knowing what's going to happen to her and Yelena. It's like, holy shit, that's some of the most fucking traumatic stuff I've seen in a Marvel film. And like that's Natasha's real superpower. She's so fucking resilient, <laughs> right? And Rachel Weiss's character makes that comment, like, "How did you not lose your heart?" Um, and we see people like Yelena, who like super tough badass, but is really you know still that scared little kid. And I'm just like, "Oh, that's great. Yes, let's make them human, but also badasses. They're still scared, but they're badasses. You know, they're funny and yeah. they're badasses. It's not just like I'm a badass and I have no emotion." <laughs> Yeah, because well, I am so badass. We're not mapping like '80s action male action stars onto like the female characters, right? We're, oh, we're the female characters the get to be themselves. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. And yeah, so that's that's also something I really appreciate. And again, you can tell like when a I feel I felt the same way about stuff like the old guard, which mm-hmm. is also directed by a woman or um, uh, Harley Quinn was directed. Yes. Her solo movie directed by a woman. <laughs> um, you, you can just tell. Excited for Eternals, which will be directed by a woman who won an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Although that's not just a solo female led, but yeah, <laughs> she she is the lead though. Yeah. All right. So, final verdict is Black Widow good pop. I say it's great pop. Yeah, yeah. I think this is kind of as good as a Marvel movie gets. Mm-hmm. Definitely one of the strongest um, entries into Marvel. I think since. Captain America and the Winter Soldier, which was another one of these more grounded, mm-hmm. more quote unquote grounded political thrillers, which we talked a lot in, in the first half about how convoluted the cosmic side of Marvel is with the gods <laughs> and the timelines and the the magic and the sorcery. Whereas like on, on the political side, yeah, we can all understand, you know, corrupt extra government organizations, supervillains, spy thrillers, right? You don't need an understanding of like metaphysics to like understand that. Yes. And as a woman, um, this is always one of my favorite tropes or like a lot of a lot of movies that deal with like women in a male dominant space. I love it when the woman uses that to her advantage and mm-hmm. like um, flips the table. Um, I think Ocean's 8 a had like a line like that. Like we need a woman because women are ignored. We're going to use that to her advantage. Um, I love when that shit happens. So like cathartic. And oh, man, like when the top my favorite scene is. And the action room was when she basically is like shading the big bad for not punching her hard enough because mm-hmm. she's trying to break her nose. Mm-hmm. So she's like, fuck, I gotta break my own nose. Okay. Like, cause you're too fucking weak. Yep. Like, okay. That's pretty badass. All right. You go, Natasha. <laughs> I know we give her a lot of shit cause, you know, not so great choices, but I will give her credit where credit's due. Scarlett Johansson's a great actor, one of the strongest in the Marvel yeah. cinematic universe. Uh, gotta give her props for that. Yep. We can appreciate someone's um, ability while also criticizing their choice in career yeah. moves. Oh, criticize and bully all you want. She's not losing money or sleep over this, mm-hmm. you know? So, but yeah, like, yeah. She's good. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to um, Florence, Florence Pugh picking up the Black Widow Mantle in the uh, subsequent films. I love her. I love her in pretty I much everything. So, much. so She got me to like Amy in Little Women. Do you know what a Herculean task that is? Oh, She's great. Absolutely. Because I hate Amy with a passion every single we one. We all I've hate seen. Amy, yeah. except all of a sudden Florence Pugh's like, no, no, wait. And then we're like, okay, yeah, <laughs> oh, we get it now. We Amy's redemption. I mean, granted, Greta Gerwig wrote the lines that made her redeemed, but also her performance. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Black Widow is in theaters now. You can also catch it on Disney Plus with a premium, um, I guess, order. How do you call what do you call that? Like with, uh, with the premier premium access. Premier access. Premier access. Yeah, check that out. Um, what's next for the MCU? I guess some um, Hawkeye is coming out later this What if is what coming if out? is coming out right. in it's August? Next. It's animated yes. though. But when we're talking about multiverses and things like that, you see like Agent Carter as Captain America, Agent Carter type person. Yeah. And a bunch of other things. We see also, you know, Black Panther. So uh it's it's kind of when that trailer came out, there were a lot of like very emotional sort of tweets going out yeah that'll um, be interesting um hawkeye's coming out soon starring jeremy renner and also florence Pugh's gonna um reprise her role as the new black widow in that tv series as well 
Isn't Haley Steinfeld in Hawkeye? Yeah, she plays Kate Bishop, which is the hmm. going to be the next generation of Hawkeye. Okay, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, but like she deserves a better mentor than Clint Barlow. But well, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> just, just kill him off. Give him, push him off cliff. <laughs> Let's trade. Can we go yeah. back and trade? Yeah, we'll trade. Go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's the next film? Next film is Shang Chi, isn't it? Oh, that's right. Oh, we, we do have an action film coming soon. They're just stacking them deep. Yeah. I mean, they got, they had that like build bottlenecks and now they're like, you're getting like four a year now. (laughs) So much Marvel. Well, we'll definitely be covering Shang-Chi when that comes out. Um, Looking forward to seeing what that's all about. But until then, um, Jess Han, thank you so much for joining me once again to talk about all the good pop that gets through our days. If people want to follow more of your thoughts, where can they go? My trash takes are on Twitter at JustJewTweets. And I am at Hanonymous, and I don't really hate the MCU. Please don't revoke my card. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Marvin Yuet. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. Uh, the Good Pop Culture Club is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Check out our fellow Asian-American hosted podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, that'll do it for this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.